Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. It is said that to know your Lord, you must know yourself. The process of getting to know yourself is intricate and complex and takes an astute awareness of what is actually going on with you and through you at all times. The main functioning organism within our being that we believe is consciousness prior to enlightenment is the mind. And we rely on the mind in order to get things done in this world. We rely on the mind to learn our lessons in school. We rely on the mind to learn how to function within the physical world. Now, in the way that I was taught, it was explained to me that the mind is like a monkey. The mind sees and does. The mind imitates what it sees. The mind is incapable of knowing certain things. It's incapable of knowing elevated things. The mind is not capable of understanding that which it doesn't see. So the unseen is beyond the realm of the mind. Understanding this we should conclude that the study of Haq, the study of the truth, the study of reality, is beyond the comprehension of the mind. This must be studied through the heart. And how does that happen? How do we get out of the mind and reconcentrate in an area that is capable of becoming near to the divine. Well, the mind is a constant intrusion on our being. It never stops. It is constantly looking at everything that it sees and giving commentary on what it sees. The mind is judgmental. The mind is critical. The mind is constantly functioning in relationship to the elemental world. So somehow, we have to redirect our being from this constant interface and interaction with the elemental world 
to the spiritual world, to the world that is not seen. And so how do we do that? What has to happen? We have to recenter our being so that our priority is not the elemental world. We have to recenter our being so that our thought process is not entirely about the elemental world. Now, there's no doubt that because we are a physical form, uh, because we are made of the elements, we have to deal with the elemental world, and the mind comes becomes very helpful to deal with the elemental world. But, after a while, we begin to understand that the elemental world is not all there is. And the elemental world is not where we can find satisfaction. For some people, this takes years to come to that conclusion. For other people, they come to that conclusion early in their lives. They see that what the elemental world has to give is temporary in nature and is fleeting in its effect. So, lust is fleeting. Desire is fleeting. It's fleeting until it gets something and it desires something else. There's no stability to desire. It goes everywhere. So we need to recenter our being. We need not to be influenced by the mind, but to be influenced by more subtle things than the mind. Wisdom is subtle. Wisdom is outside of the purview of the mind. Wisdom is separate from what the mind understands and does. And how do we contact wisdom? Well, one of the things that we should understand about wisdom is what is wise? Who is wise? And for the ones who are wise, where do they get their wisdom from? Wisdom is godly. Wisdom comes from the divine. And for us to interface with the divine, we have to reprioritize what we're doing. And we have to struggle with the mind. In other words, the mind's influence on us has to lessen. That doesn't mean that the mind is going to stop. It just means that its influence on us has to recede. That its influence on us has to lessen. Some simple examples. When you go to pray, the mind will say you have something else to do. You have to overcome that and still do the prayer that you're going to do. It has to become prioritized in your being. So what we have to do, what we have to prioritize in our being, is the recentering of ourself to be more inclined towards the divine and less inclined towards the material world. 
And the question is, how do we do it? What do we do? Well, we involve ourselves in things that are not material. We involve ourselves in things that are not elemental. We involve ourselves in things that are spiritual. And this is done in many ways. One of the ways that it's done is to read that which explains the spiritual. Now, in our case, we had a teacher, and our access to the spiritual was to sit with him and have him talk to us directly. That's not the only way. You can also do it through books. You can find books that will attune you in a certain way. And if you can understand them appropriately, they will calm your mind. Because the mind can't react to what it doesn't see, and the mind can't see God, the mind becomes befuddled by true spiritual understandings. And the mind's grip on you becomes lesser. It lessens. It doesn't hold you as tight because the mind has not been stopped, but it's been stunned. And it will not react as quickly as when you are giving it full attention. Lust takes the dampers off the mind. In other words, you're letting the mind run free. And when we let the mind run free, it goes into all of the different animal directions that the mind is capable of going and begins to do all the different animal kinds of things that the mind is capable of doing. It reacts entirely to the lower, self-motivated, egocentric, sensual, pleasure-fulfilling portions of ourself. And that's where the mind will take us. And to stop that, we have to apply brakes. And this application of brakes, this application of trying to reverse the trends that each of us have in the mind, is what is called the holy war. This is the jihad. This is the war between ourself, our true self, and our imagined self, the self that lives in the illusory world. Some people discover that they have many different sides to them early in life. And they realize that the sides that they should emphasize are the sides that cling or attempt to cling to that which is divine. Giving up those which cling and emphasize gathering things from the world. This is a big step. This is the step that is the beginning of the true journey of man towards understanding his purpose and his creator. 
when you begin to realize that we are in sections, and certain sections of ourselves needn't be allowed to have sway over our being. And it's only when we realize that, that we can begin true progress towards becoming a true man. There are certain things that are forbidden. There are certain things that we just cannot do and we are not allowed to do if we want to find our true self. It begins with something as simple or as complicated as the Ten Commandments. God gave rules to man to bind him as to certain actions. And these rules are very straightforward and explicit. They're explained as to what you can and can't do. But then it gets more complex. There can be thousands of things, hundreds of things, that you should do. But there's also a subtlety in what you can do. The Ten Commandments say, Thou shalt not kill. But they don't say, Thou shalt not become angry. But we should understand that in truth, to become real, anger has to be dissipated from us. So, on one level, you don't show anger physically. You don't scream. But on another level, you don't think angry. You don't have intention of anger. You give yourself a place where when these thoughts and ideas arise inside of your being, you understand the danger that they present to your soul, and you do something to counter them. Now, there are lots of things to do to counter them. Every religion has some kind of water ritual. Every religion has some kind of cleansing through water. In Islam, you do wudu. And wudu is a very involved process if you do it correctly and don't rush through it. But what it does is, it removes not just dirt. It removes the emotional garbage or baggage that you may have that keeps you from being clean. It removes all of the attachments to the world. And we need to be able to remove the attachments from the world. Now, depending on how strong our inner drive towards lust is, and lust involves many things, not just sexual, lust towards money, lust towards fame, lust towards possessions, lust towards gold. Lust covers the entire gamut of desires that we have within the world. And to somehow relieve ourselves of this lust, how can we do it? Well, we have to find out what works for us. But first, we have to be cognizant of our own tendencies and understand 
where it is that we go. Do we hallucinate about certain things in the world that we know we're not allowed to do, but we still spend time inside of our mind doing them? Do we control, or at least try to control, the nature of our thoughts? Do we run from the situations that become difficult for us? Do we understand the nature of what a true man is supposed to be? Do we understand how we can be low and we can be high? And do we understand what we need to do to become high? God created man with everything that exists in the universe within him. So a man can be a worm and a man can be a king. There are those who find their pleasure in the things that are degraded. A dog eats bones. And it thinks it's getting nourishment from the bones. But what actually is happening is he's cutting his mouth and is eating his own blood. And this eating of his own blood becomes what he thinks is eating. We, when we involve ourselves in degraded things, are eating ourselves. We're destroying ourselves and we have to understand that that is what's happening so in order to be free of the world and all of the influences of the world we have to bind ourselves for, uh, so that we are incapable of performing certain actions so that they become vile to us and we become repulsed by them. And it's only when we understand things to that level that we can begin to walk the true path. So what should we do? Well, we should pray. And we should talk directly with God and tell Him what it is that keeps us in a problematic state. We should express it. Because in the expression of that which is troubling us, it's brought out into the open and it no longer hides. It becomes brought into the light. And when it's in the light, the light will destroy it. Because now it's seen. It's like the drunk who, when he goes to drink, waits until it's late at night, and does it in a room by himself, because he's ashamed to do it in public. If he were forced to drink in public, and he has a sense of shame, then he may not drink. Do we have a sense of shame? And have we found a way around that sense of shame so that we can do things in a private way that other people can't see. But in truth, God sees everything. And we have to become cognizant of that fact. There is no hiding. There is no disappearing. There is no 
doing things where nobody knows. We have angels on both of our shoulders who record everything that we do. They know everything that we do. And it is all set on reels that one day, on the day of judgment, we're going to have to face. And all these reels will come back. In a book called The Conference of the Birds, um, 30 birds are taken on a journey to God. And there are various steps on that journey. And the author explains the steps through stories. And one of the final steps is they're on the threshold of entering into reality. And then the following story happens. The brothers of Joseph threw him into a well because of their jealousy of him. And he was sold into slavery eventually. And the brothers forgot all about him and gave him no thought any longer. And for those of you who know the story, Joseph became a trusted advisor through God's way through the king, to the king of Egypt. And there came a time when Jacob, Joseph's father, uh, who was living in uh, Canaan with his children, was in the midst of a famine. And he sent his sons to go to Egypt to get food because it was understood that the famine didn't exist in Egypt. So they went. And they went to ask for uh, food. And the story gets complex, but we'll go to the end of it. And at the end, um, Joseph, who recognized his brothers, uh, but they didn't recognize him. And he says to them, you come here asking for food. And they said, yes. He said, but what you've done is you've actually stolen from us. And he had placed uh, objects in the bags of their donkeys. And they said, no, we are innocent. Uh, we haven't done anything wrong. And then he directs his men to empty the bags on the donkeys. And they find all these things. And he says, look, you have all of these things that you've taken from us. And you say you're innocent. And they say, and they, com they continue to plead their innocence and say, we've never done anything wrong. We are clean men. We are honest. We are trustworthy. We are without sin. We would never do anything like this. And after they say that, he then begins to talk to them in Hebrew, in their own tongue. And then they realize that the one in front of them is Joseph. And they realize what they had done to Joseph. And now they were looking to him for mercy for them. And that moment 
comes to everyone sometime during that existence. The worst thing that you did confronts you, and you have to somehow respond to it and be able to live through it or go through it to go on to the next level. So don't think that we can haphazardly go through our life. Don't think that we can treat people with disdain and not be called on it. Everything that we do, we will be called on. So in this life, while we have the opportunity, we have to draw ourselves away from that kind of action. We have to draw ourselves away from that which interacts with our lower self that tries to make our egocentric self the most important thing in the world. And it's only through this work that we can find reality. As long as the egocentric self continues to lord from our inner being over us and imaginarily over everything else around us, there will be no progress in our being. We will not be able to touch the truth. The truth can only be touched when we become small, when we begin to disappear, we can become close to that which is true. But as long as we feel we have to defend ourselves, as long as we feel we have to lord over others and over other things, the truth will not come to us because there is only one Lord. La ilaha illallah. God alone exists. And as long as we believe that we are pulling the strings in our existence, we will be lost to the truth. When we surrender to that which is the power of creation, and we allow that power to be our life, only then can we know the truth. And as long as we are attached to the physical world and the things within the physical world, we will not be able to find that place. We have to give up those attachments and we have to recenter and reattach ourselves to the truth. And the truth is God. And that needs to become the center of our existence. When we do that, we will begin to change. And the vagaries of the mind that tell us to do all these crazy and bizarre things will no longer have influence on us because now our satisfaction comes only from the truth. And we find it easy to take time to pray. And while we're praying, we're not pulled to do other things. We find it easy to read holy texts. And while we're doing it, our concentration is strong and our determination is strong. And we are centered in that place. 
we have to understand that this is the most important thing in our life. And all of the other things have to go by the wayside. Politics has to go by the wayside. Politics doesn't just mean how the country is run. Whenever there are more than two people together, two or more people together, you have politics. So we have to learn how to have relationships without having politics. We have to learn how to have relationships without needing to be on top of the situation. We need to learn how to become small. And in our smallness is our greatness. Because as we become smaller, we become closer to that which is eternal and that which is one. Until we disappear and all that is, is that one. Our glory is in our ability to be able to be removed from the world. The life of saints is something that we should read about and understand. What they have done is they've given up their lives for others. They've given up their needs to help others. They've done away with their desires to fulfill what others need to aid in the suffering that others have. They become a salve for the wounds of the world. And that's what God does. He constantly provides for us. Imagine if his sustenance ended for a second. Try not to breathe for a minute or two. See what happens. And God provides air free. He gives it to you. And we are so dependent on it that we don't even realize that we're doing it. We have to understand our relationship to our Creator. We have to understand what it is He wants from us. And what it is that He wants from us is for us to become close to Him and to know Him. So we need to somehow center our life so that that's what we do. These moments when we speak together are moments when thought of other things disappears, when we're given a small time of freedom from all of the hypnotisms and the magnetisms of the world pulling at us. Well, our life has to expand so that this, t- this time when the hypnotisms and the magnetisms of the world aren't pulling on us expands. And that time becomes greater and greater in our life when the burden that we carry of the world is dropped and we no longer care. See, the problem is that we have so much invested or believe we have invested in the world that we are constantly running back to take care of it. Because if we don't take care of it, we believe somehow it won't do for us what it's doing. 
If we don't take care of our wealth, we'll lose our wealth. If we don't take care of our property, we'll lose our property. If we don't take care of our animals, we'll lose our animals. Allah provides. Our worrying isn't going to do us any good or anybody else any good. Worrying has been defined by a wise man as feeling future pain now. In other words, you look at what's going on around you, you project that things aren't going to go right, and you feel that pain now. The mind can't tell the difference between the past and the future. It also can't tell the future, but it assumes the future. The mind can take the past, and if you had a difficult past, bring it into the present, and so that you have a difficult now. We need to release ourselves from the past. We need to release ourselves from the thoughts of the future. We have to live in the moment, free of the world, connected to our Creator. We have to figure out how to do this, and we have to become that. It's only in that life that we can touch Hak, reality. Sufis are called sons of the moment. That means they have no past and they have no future. They live now and they don't live with the world. They live with their Lord. So may each of us come to the place where our life is connected and is with our Lord. Amin. Amin. Ya Rabbi Lalami. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.